Good morning. A couple things. If you don't have a Bible, just put your hand up. We have a few Bibles in the back. I encourage you to have a Bible today. We're going to look at some great passages. When do we not look at great passages, right? The Word is full of this. We are currently in a series that I've titled, With Christ in the School of Suffering. Boy, what a title that is. With Christ in the School of Suffering. We've been going through the Bible, looking at how the Bible points to Christ. And we've been slowing down in the book of Psalms here, in which many passages point to Christ. And many of these passages, written thousands of years before Christ was even born, speak of Christ. And they primarily speak of His suffering. And the center, the apex, the the primary focus of the Scriptures, when you hold that Bible, is the cross event. Our church, Crossway Church, very fitting. The, the center of it is the cross event. And the cross is the framework from which we want to think through and, and live out of. And we need to understand suffering through God's perspective in the cross. So if you have gone through suffering, if you hear me, that means yes, you have. We all, we're human. We have gone through suffering. And suffering will come knocking at your door. You need to understand suffering not through your perspective, but God's perspective. Primarily, the cross. And many of these sermons are, in many ways, as as your pastor, I want to prepare you. I want to give you a foundation so that way when the suffering comes, when heartache comes, you have something stable. Preparation is important. This summer, there's a few of us in the church that are planning to climb Mount St. Helens. And my daughter said, I want to do that. I said, all right, you're 12 years old. It's not just let's get out and climb. You need to prepare. So I'm already, we're preparing, we're working out, we're training to get ready. Because if she's not ready, she will be a liability. It will be a disaster for her. She may not make it to the top. We'll have to turn around. But if she's prepared, she'll be able to do this. I want to prepare you for what is to come in your life. I don't know all that will come. I'm not a prophet. I'm not a son of a prophet. I do work for a profit, nonprofit organization, so that's as close as I get to that. But yet, I'm a man of the Word, and my job as your pastor is to prepare you. To prepare you for personal tragedy. And some of you are going to sit in the seat of suffering. Some of you right now are sitting in the seat of suffering, right? You don't have to raise your hand, but maybe you are. That's me. Some of you are going through horrible times right now, things that you never thought would happen. You fought against your whole life, and here you sit in the seat of suffering. Family issues, marriage, grandchildren, sickness, financial. You're suffering. What supports you in the seat of suffering? Well, we've been looking at four principles, kind of like four legs of a stool. In fact, if if you have your bulletin on your notes, turn to the back. And if you don't have one of these, we have a few over here that Pastor John will get to you. And I, I encourage you to, instead of me reading all that we've covered already, take a look at this list. Four biblical truths. We've been looking at four aspects that the Bible presents to us when it comes to suffering. On the back of this, you'll see that we have the eternal perspective. And again, the cross is and should be the framework for all that we think through. So this eternal perspective, the cross secures, just as a leg here of the stool, one of the perspectives is this, one of the the truth is the cross secures our hope. Amen? Remember some of those sermons and some of the passages we looked at. Death is not overwhelming to those who understand the eternal results of the cross, Right? The suffering we have as we sit in this seat, because of this leg, this suffering is momentary. It is light compared to the eternal weight of glory that is secured by the cross. Amen? 
If you don't have this leg of this eternal perspective in your suffering, you'll be wobbling. It'll be hard. Have the eternal perspective that the cross gives us. The second one that we looked at is God knows pain. God knows pain. He understands. And the words that we have written then is, the cross experiences suffering. We have a God who understands. And some of the, there's a lot of data there on your sheet. But we have a God who responds to the change of his people. And this response is a display of his unchanging character. He is a God of comfort. He knows. And we can turn to a God of comfort. And the privilege of suffering for Christ and being identified with Christ is a part of the Christian life. That's the other leg. Now we're going to the third aspect that is represented in Scripture and in the book of Psalms, and that's sin. The results of sin and suffering. As the cross secures our hope that we have as Christians, the cross understands pain. Here's my favorite. The cross is the remedy to sin. Amen? Amen. The cross is the remedy. And we're going to be looking at how appropriate for us as we approach Easter and Good Friday. And we'll be looking at some passages through that. And then after Easter, we'll be looking at the fourth one. God is sovereign. He is in control. Which we will look at a little bit today also. And the words we have there, the cross fulfills God's plan. So as you sit in the seat of suffering, I encourage you, study deep these four biblical principles and truths in Scripture. They will support you as we are with Christ in the school of suffering. So I'm going to pray here before we dig into the Word this morning. Father, I ask that today you would ready our hearts as you have been this week and in our lives. And today we are looking at an aspect of Scripture that sometimes we are afraid to look at. It's, this is a tough topic. It's, it's all throughout Scripture, but it's, it's very confusing at times. And, and I ask, Holy Spirit, you, you just cover my words. Guide me as I, as I look at Scripture, as we lay out biblical truths. And as we, in our suffering and as in, our, in our questioning, Holy Spirit, we would be moved by you, the God of comfort, to have hope and trust in you in spite of the effects of sin in this world. For you are unshakable and unchangeable. In your precious name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. If you look at the slide up in front, behind me here, it says, the next slide says, why do we suffer? In fact, I've mentioned from here on in, when we look at the book of Psalms, we're dealing with this topic, with Christ in the school of suffering, we're going to be looking at why do we suffer? A few weeks ago, we looked at suffering as an aspect of, if you're a Christian, you will suffer. Christ is our example, and we will suffer. If you live a godly life, you will suffer. But why do we suffer? And, and some of you, I'll give you an example here. My daughter loves puzzles. She's two and a half, and that's what we do. Sometimes just pull out the puzzles. And some of them are tough, but gratefully, unlike the ones my grandma would give to me, those of a thousand pieces, some of them are huge pieces for her. But now we're getting to the point where they're a little bit smaller. They're about an inch and a half by an inch. And for little Gracie, this is tough. And some of you in your life might go, my life is like this puzzle. There's pieces falling out. and I, How does this fit? I, I don't know. What, what is the picture? I lost the cover of the box. I don't, you know, if you don't have the picture, you're in trouble. <laughs> when I was a little boy, I had a cool puzzle. It was a Star Wars one. And then I lost the cover. It was one of the ships in space and everything. I forget it. I couldn't do it. Some of you have lost the picture, the perspective. You don't have the four legs. And in your life, you've got 
Sickness is one of the pieces. Your child is suffering. Death of a parent. How do you put these together in life? Divorce. Financial issues. How do you piece these puzzles together? Why is there suffering? And these are real questions that we have. What do we do with suffering? Well, here's one. Why are there catastrophic events happening today? The deadliest and most economic, destructive, volcanic event in the history of the U.S. was what? Mount St. Helens. In fact, on your bulletin on the front, you may see I put some ash. Could I just borrow yours? I put a smudge of ash on the corner here, but because it's glossy, most of it came off. And uh, when I moved here, someone gave me a jar of the ash, and I put some of it on all of your bulletins, and maybe got in your clothes and your lawn. Why? Why, Pastor Cody, would you get me full of ash and soot? And May 18th. 1980, why? The death toll of Mount St. Helens, 57 people were killed. Do you ever ask questions why when you see world events like that, natural disasters happen, you just go, why? Oso's mudslide, a week ago. So far, 26 people are confirmed dead. Why? Saturday morning, people doing different things. Someone helping someone with their water heater. Someone reading a newspaper. These are the stories we hear. Why? And still, possibly 90 is the number they have right now are missing for and unaccounted for. Much help is coming to the community But soon, people will want more than just water and food and resources. They will want answers to the questions, why? And here are a few of the faces that we have confirmed that have died in this horrific event. I cannot comprehend the sorrow the families are going through. But I understand the question, Why? Why do these things happen? Here's my question to you. As a Christian, what would you say to a family member who says, why? Or on the way here, they're interviewing some family member who said, this is not fair. And I believe she was talking about her father who passed away in the mudslide. This is not fair She has her puzzle pieces, and she says, this is not fair. What do we as Christians have in response to her? Or this week in the news. This is just this week. Questions we could ask. Where are the people from the Malaysian airplane? What is the outcome going to be of the Ukraine crisis? What is Russia doing? Egyptian security forces stop routinely and torture and abuse detainees that are typically 15 years old. Why? The UN states that millions of Syrians continue to suffer. Those were the words this week. Why is there poverty and oppression around the world? It's in the news this week. I just looked at the news and just here it all is. I say this is even greater. Why in the news was this not written down? That 3,700 babies were boarded each day. Why was that not in the news? Horrible things are happening. Why? What about you personally? Why are all these personal events happening to you? Not just the news. But in your life, why does affliction come to those who seek God? I want to seek you, Lord. I want to come to know you. I want to walk. I'm your child. And why does affliction come knocking on my door? Why does disaster happen to to be in my family? 
Why does my marriage have to be bankrupt? Why? Some of these questions you may ask. Why do specific evils happen to us? Why is there sickness and pain? Why did she have to die? Why did he have to leave me? Why is my grandchild going through such drug abuse? These are tough questions. What's the answer to some of these? Well, if you look at the next slide, you'll see, if you remember, everyone has a perspective, a worldview that they understand. The traditionalism takes parts of the puzzle and say, well, we failed, so hopefully we can just work it out. Just push those puzzles. Imagine if I gave this puzzle to my little Grace without a picture. She would just push these together. You know how it is with a puzzle. You just kind of cry. It's going to fit no matter what. I'm going to make this fit. And people try to press the puzzle together without really knowing the big picture. And then it just it ruins the puzzle. And th- it just doesn't work out. One of their answers is self-effort doesn't work. Or to the naturalist person, well, they, they don't fit. They'll say they're, they're cut wrong. The problem is they're cut wrong, so what we need to do is, is get the geothermic, you know, the, the geothermal engineers to also, and they'll figure it out. They'll understand everything, and then they'll piece the puzzle together, and, and out of self-knowledge and empirical verification, we'll figure it all out, and that will make our puzzle right. That doesn't put the puzzle together. They'll have some answers, but not eternal answers that touch the heart. The postmodern, which is very strong today, is, well, you know what? Forget the puzzle and what the picture says. I'm going to make this the way I want it to be. And they begin cutting the puzzle pieces so they fit whatever piece they want. And this one is supposed to, it looks like a beach here, but they're going to make the water above the beach. They're going to create whatever they want. And you have freedom. And if it's not finished, who cares? Or there's even some worldviews that say, let's flip the puzzle upside down. There is no suffering. And we'll just make it all gray. And they just ignore the fact. What does the Bible say? Do we cram the pieces together? I believe that this book right here has so many answers for us today to the questions why. I believe that the Bible has much to say and helps us put the pieces together in a proper way. The place of suffering and evil must be put within a certain worldview. And the correct worldview, I believe, if you have here, is the Christian worldview with the gospel as the center of the message. Why? The question is not foreign to the Bible. The question, why is all this happening? It is not foreign to the Bible. And we're looking in the book of Psalms. It is not foreign to the book of Psalms. Take a look at the next slide here. One of the things that makes the book of Psalms so real to us, and so many of us read the book of Psalms, they turn to it when, it, when, it, when they're struggling and when they're in pain, is that Psalm speaks of le- the legitimate, the real, and rawness of the human condition. That's what's so great about the book of Psalms. It just lays it out. It doesn't candy coat it with religious terminology. It just says, why? Look at some of these. These are just a few. Psalm 6, verse 3. My soul is in deep anguish. How many of you could put that in your diary some days, right? My soul is in deep anguish. How long? Lord, how long? Some of you have battled sickness for years and years. And this verse might say, that's my anthem right now. 
Let me just say this point to the end. It's not your anthem, it's your cry. Your anthem will come at the end of the sermon. This is your cry. How long, O Lord? Psalm 10, verse 1. Why, Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? I'm suffering. I need you right now. Lord, why are you so far away? Come on. Rescue me. Psalm speaks of the legitimate, the realness, and the rawness of the human condition. Psalms 11, 3. When the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Psalm 31, 12 through 13. I am forgotten as though I were dead. I have become like broken pottery. For I hear many whispering terror on every side. I love how the book of Psalms just, it doesn't play it fake. It just says, here it is. The biblical perspective and the worldview that the Bible gives us helps piece the puzzle to your emotional suffering and physical pains. It helps us place things in the right category. And here it is. Take a look at the next slide. I've said this a few times, and I want you to just to etch this into your memory, because I believe this is so true. Most of our problems, most of the issues that we have today come from an incorrect view of God. And when we ignore the biblical foundation he has given us, if we don't understand the God of the word, we understand the God that we paint or we put a portrait together in our puzzle, this is how God works? No. Most of our problems come from an incorrect view of God. And my job as a pastor is to, each Sunday, and when I meet with you, when we hang out, is to help you and do this through the word, show you how does God reveal himself. A proper picture portrait of who God is. So let us look at three portraits that the Bible pieces together for us with this puzzle. Like bookends, the next slide here shows you, like bookends, the Bible has this aspect, this big storyline. There's two great bookends in Scripture. Genesis 1 and 2 and Revelation 21 and 22. Like bookends, it starts with goodness, innocence. It's all there. And then, let's take, take, take your Bibles and turn to Revelation 21. Revelation 21. If you don't know where Revelation is, just turn to the back of your Bible and you'll find it there. If you need a Bible again, we've got two more Bibles back there. Just slip your hand up and go, I need a Bible, that's fine. Revelation 21. Again, in the beginning, God created, and it was good. It was good. That's the, the first bookend of the Bible. Then the last one, listen, I love this. It's one of my favorite chapters here, like every chapter of the Bible. Look, look at these words. Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And the chapter goes on. Scripture has these bookends so you see up here, there was goodness and innocence in the beginning. And the last section here is there is going to be goodness and an absence of suffering 
and evil. Within the bookends, the storyline of the Bible, I would tell this to the people of Oslo, to the people of Washington who scratch their heads and say, why? And to you who are suffering right now in the seat of suffering, I would say scripture says this. Scripture puts together this puzzle and gives us a portrait. And we begin with God. Take a look at the next slide here. We look at the portrait of God. Number one, God remains the same. Praise God. I'm like up and down like a yo-yo sometimes. God remains the same. And here, I'm just going to focus primarily, there's, there's many aspects we could speak of God. His holiness, which I, I love to ponder. His, his, his grace and mercy and His love. But here we're primarily looking at His goodness. Psalm 100, verse 5. The Lord is good. Always remember that. As you sit in suffering, memorize this and speak it out loud. The Lord is good. Why? What? The Lord is good. Daniel 4.37 Praise and exalt and glorify the King of Heaven because everything He does is right and all His ways are just. God is good. If you are suffering right now, hear me yell this. I'm not going to yell it right now, but God is good. He is good all the time. And all the time what? God is good. Know that this is very important. Also, we look at an aspect of this. The next one. God is Lord of the earth. And he is in control. Okay, this is very important. He is in control. And we're going to cover a lot of this after Easter as we look at at the sovereignty of God. The Lord is in control. Listen to Psalm 147, 15 through 18. He sends his commands to the earth. He spreads the snow like wool and scatters the the frost like ashes. He hurls down his hail like pebbles. How many of you saw the hail yesterday when it was raining? Some of you, my kids were like, oh, yay! He is in control. He sends that down. Who can withstand his icy blast? He sends his word and melts them. He stirs up his breezes and the waters flow. All this comes from his commands. Why do the rivers flow? Because he commands them to. He is in control. And this is part of the perspective the Bible presents to us. Or Psalm 104, verse 32. He who looks at the earth and it trembles, who touches the mountains and they smoke. Job 9.6. He shakes the earth from its place and makes its pillars tremble. Who is in control? God. So I have to, as much as I appreciate our governor, he has done great things to help in this tragic time. He has done some great things where I'm like, thank you. He goes there, he's there, he slept a couple nights there, he's, he's all about, I want to help the community. But I think he's wrong when he said, and I quote, Mother Nature holds the cards now. Well, that's his perspective, but the Bible paints a perspective that said God is in control God holds he made the cards he lays them out when he determines Luke chapter 8 25 he commands even the wind and the water they obey him so one of the pieces that we put in this puzzle of this disaster God is in control okay right now your brain may go but 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 hold your questions just know this God is in control He commands all things. God is Lord of all. Nature does not escape God's plan and have a will of its own. Nature doesn't go, well, I'm going to blow up. Boom, I'm going to go. This summer, I plan on climbing 
four of the volcanoes around here. Hopefully they won't pop when I'm on top of them, you know, that'd be bad, bad for a lot of reasons, but my wife is like, don't talk about these things, you know, it's going to be fine, I'll sleep on glaciers, it'll be okay, but God is in control. May 1980, was he not in control? Did nature just go, I can't handle anymore, sorry God. Mother nature holds the cards? If that was the case, we would be in serious trouble. But we're not. We have a hope and a God who's secure. So part of what I would say to the people who are struggling right now, looking at these disasters, God is Lord of all. We could spend hours talking about that, but let's go to the next portrait that is painted in Scripture. The portrait of mankind. The bookends are goodness, innocence, no more crying, no more pain, no more suffering. But oh, how the story is different within the bookends, right? It truly is. The bookends are of goodness, but from Genesis chapter 3 to Revelation 20, there's a different picture. Why is there suffering? Here's one of the answers that Scripture says. One of the main reasons the Bible states they're suffering is because of sin. Write that down. It's because of sin. Evil, sin, and rebellion is the root of suffering and pain. Listen to some of these verses. Genesis chapter 3, 17 through 18. The earth is under a curse. The fall comes and the earth is under a curse. Of course, I turn to Romans. Listen to some of these passages. Romans 5, 12. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man... And death through sin. Why is there death? Here we go. Death through sin. And in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. Why is there death? Why is there pain, suffering? Sin is one of the reasons. Sin. Romans 8.10 But if Christ is in you, even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. Why is there death, pain, sorrow? Sin. Do this. Turn to Genesis chapter 5. It's quite amazing. I just looked at this this week and I was like, wow. Genesis 1 and 2. Innocence. No sin. Goodness. God created. It was good. Sin comes, chapter 3, the fall. Look, just look at verse 5. And I even underlined some of these in my Bible. Chapter 5. And again, I, I really see that chapter 5 through, let's say, 12 is written to show this downfall and trouble because of sin. Just look briefly at some of these things. 5, verse 5. What's the last couple words? And then he died. The last part of verse 8. And then he died. The last part of verse 11. And then he died. The last part of verse 14. And then he died. There was goodness, innocence, life. And death comes because of sin. And then he died. Uh, Verse 17, and then he died. Verse 20, and then he died. Psalm 51, turn here. The Bible paints for us this portrait, this picture, that God is good. At the end and the beginning of the bookends and even throughout Scripture, He's good. Yet for mankind, there's a problem, and that's sin. Psalm 51. I encourage you, memorize, say, 1 through 17. Memorize this. Okay, maybe that's too big, then do 1 through verse 12. Listen to this. This is after David. King, righteous, good. Man after God's own heart. 
In the time when kings go to war, he doesn't. And in his slackingness, and his laziness, he sees a woman, bids her to come up, sleeps with her, and horrible things. The ball continues to, to go down like an avalanche, and death comes, and just disaster comes. Here's his cry of repentance in the midst of sin. Great psalm here, Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your, and the Hebrew word here is chesed, according to your unfailing love. Isn't that great? God's love never fails. He's always good, amen? So in your sin, this is a great cry, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out all my transgressions. There's one word for sin. Wash away all my iniquity. There's another word. Cleanse me from all my sin. For I know my transgression and my sin is always before me. Look at verse 4. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. So guess what, people? When judgment comes, God is right to judge because of sin. Amen? Amen. Look at verse 5. Surely I was sinful at birth. Sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Sin is the portrait painted. And we could spend so much time talking about this, but let's look at the next portrait painted in Scripture. The portrait of creation as a result of sin. Remember, in the beginning, it was good, innocent. That's the first bookend. And then the last bookend, there is a new heaven, a new earth. No more suffering, no more pain. What about between the bookends? All creation grown. So we got to turn here. My favorite chapter of all of Scripture, I keep telling you, memorize this chapter. It's so healthy for the soul. Turn to Romans 8. Romans 8, so important here. What a great portrait we have here that the Lord gives to us. Creation and creatures are subject to the bondage of corruption caused by sin. Here it is simple. Why do earthquakes happen? Why is there just chaos sometimes, mudslides? What will happen next? of sin. Look at what this says here. Romans chapter if we had tons of time I would start with verse 1 but we're going to start with verse 19. Let's, let's do 18. <laughs> I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Remember that aspect we talked about. One of the legs that we have in the stool is there is a future. This suffering is nothing compared to the glory that's going to be revealed. Praise God. We have a hope. Look at verse 19. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For creation was subject to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay. Things are going to fall apart. Mudslides are going to happen. Hopefully I can climb that volcano before it does pop, because guess what? It's probably going to pop again. Decay is all around us. It's subject to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time, waiting for the time when the sons of God will be redeemed. The earth is groaning, suffering, or as in 
this great classic Puritan book that I recently got, The Sinfulness of Sin. You want some dense prose to read, get this book, find it, and read it. Let me read what he says here. In fact, I've got it boiled down in some of the big words here. He, sa- he quotes this passage and says, it is, if, it is as if it cried out, Oh, sinful sin. Here's, he's kind of personifying creation here. I was free born, and though under domain, yet not under bondage. God was in control, but it wasn't bondage. It's good to know. Once I served man freely, but now from fear. Every creature which is under the power of man say to him, I did nothing of myself to make me liable to bondage, but being your good and child, I suffer a part of the penalty of your treason. Creation is suffering because of treason of sin. If you had not sinned, I would not have suffered. But now I groan and wait to be delivered from the bondage of your corruption. Oh, sinful sin. Why does the earth fall apart? Sinful sin. I encourage you to continue to read Romans 8 and study it. The result of sin upon creation has been catastrophic, like the events we saw last week here in Washington. And they will continue until he comes to liberate us. Amen? So we have the portrait of God, who's good and loving, the portrait of man who has sin, and the effects are all around it, and the effects have even affected and impacted creation. And that won't be the first mudslide we see. The earth is falling apart. Look at the next slide we have here. God has reasons for what he permits. We may not know of all of God's purposes in that little town of Oso. I don't have all the answers and understand his purposes. Many will remain hidden until we grasp them at the end of the times. For every life that was taken, I believe God has purpose in all things. He is in control of all things. The results of sin are all around us. I'm I'm surprised that we are not consumed right now because of sin, but because he is long-suffering, we're not, praise God. We don't have all the answers. Romans chapter 1133 says this, How unsearchable are his judgments. We don't understand them. And unfathomable his ways. We can't comprehend it. Or Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. But the things revealed to belong to us. We don't understand, but here's what I say. Prepare your hearts. Suffering is coming. Decay is coming. Prepare your hearts. And I don't have time to say this, but whenever it speaks of earthquakes and stuff like that in the New Testament, it's, it always says, prepare, ready your hearts, and repent. One of the main reasons why we have earthquakes and terrible things happening, the Lord is saying, repent. Come to me. These are wake-up calls. Or as C.S. Lewis says, suffering is God's megaphone to wake us up. Prepare your hearts. Repent. Be alert. Be ready. The time is coming because redemption, final redemption, vindication is coming to the children of God. Amen? Life is on loan to us. Be ready and prepare your hearts. It belongs to God. My life does. As Job says, Job 1, 21. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. He creates and gives. We owe him nothing. He's in control, so prepare your hearts. This life is fragile. 
It's very fragile. But one thing is firm and solid. And I thought of this passage here as I thought of this huge mountain slide sliding down. What's amazing, Mount St. Helens, I don't know how many cubic feet, you know, miles of just debris and ash and just this stood everywhere. Only 50 some people compared to the small landslide in comparison to Mount St. Helens, and there'll be probably 90 people. The earth is falling. What do we have is sure? Hebrews chapter 12. Go to this passage in your Bible. Mark this down. Hebrews 12, 28. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken... Let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. This world is falling apart. As much as you build your kingdom and house, it may fall apart. Moth and rust and termites will get to it and just destroy it. Your financial security may come and it could be destroyed. What is sure and firm? Mountainsides? No. Your car? No. You should see the ones in the Midwest where they put salt everywhere. It just rusts away. I see old cars out here. I'm like, how come there's, so, oh, there's no salt out here? All that we, you can build your kingdom, it will fail. What will not? The kingdom of God. It cannot be shaken. Prepare your hearts and walk in that kingdom. And the second thing, here it is. This is big. I'd love to spend a lot of time thinking about this. Preach the gospel to yourself. As you sit in the seat of suffering and you have puzzle pieces you cannot put together, you don't know how they fit, you're confused, you think, well, the worldview says this, I I can't do it. I can't deal with this sickness and this cancer anymore. I'm done. I'm so tired of this marriage. Why was this divorce? Why are my children like this? As you sit in the seat of suffering, preach the gospel to yourself. Preach the good news, gospel, good news. Preach the good news to yourself. Turn to Psalm 42. Psalm 42. Have the good news, the truth. Again, most of our problems come from an incorrect view of God. Sometimes you don't realize God is holy, He is just, He is loving, He is good, He's in control, He's all powerful. We need to saturate our minds with truth. So many of us, like a tape recorder, have the wrong tapes playing. Dump the tapes. Put truth in there. Psalm 42. A lot of these passages you should just have underlined. and You have these memorized. Psalm 42, verse 5. Why are you downcast? Oh, my soul. He's preaching something to himself. He's not preaching it to his neighbors. Why are you downcast, oh, my soul? So disturbed within me. So what does he preach to himself? Put your hope in God. For I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Church, listen. Whatever you're sitting in, whatever seat of suffering is, Put your hope in God. You may have those legitimate cries of, Why? How long, O Lord? That's just your cry. But your hope is this, the Lord. Preach truth to yourself. Place your hope in God. He is your salvation. When suffering comes knocking at your door, say the truth to yourself. Let me end with this passage here. It's our last slide. Turn here, Psalm 46. memorize this one. Go home and write it out and put it on your mirrors, your windows. Write it upside down in your belly so you can see it and read it that way. Whatever it takes. Preach the gospel to yourself. Sin, the effects of sin are horrible. Not just to us, which we're going to talk about the next couple weeks, but also to the earth. The results are catastrophic. Even in little towns where the steelhead used to swim all the time. And also, but what's the truth that we can speak to that? This is great. 
God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, I will not fear, though the earth gives way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. That happened, did it not, last week? Look again at the first part. Our God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Whatever suffering you're going through, God is your hope and your help. Therefore, we do not fear, though the earth gives way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar with foam and the mountains quake with their surging. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is with her. She will not fall. God will help her at the break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. Look at the news. But listen to this. Our God is secure. He is unshakable. So no matter what suffering comes your way, no matter what seat you're sitting in and suffering, prepare your hearts and preach the truth of the gospel to you. His goodness. And his ultimate goodness is shown in what? The cross. The remedy of sin. Because of sin, we deserve death, judgment. And the only way we can have peace is through Jesus Christ. And he paid for our price, our penalty. Turn to him in your need. Turn to him because he is the remedy and he is life. This is what we say to the people in Oso. This is what we say to the people after the tsunami. This is what we say to yourself because this week may be a catastrophic week for you. But as you sit in the seat of suffering, Christ is with you if you're his child and you have hope and purpose because he is unshakable as this world passes. Amen? Let's pray.